Welcome to Tech Explorations Podcast Episode 9. I'm Peter Dunmaris and in this episode my guest is Robert Ferenek. Robert is founder of Federville Academy. He's well known through his YouTube channel and his online schematic design and PCB layout courses where he teaches hardware design. Robert specializes in advanced digital development with a focus on high-speed processor and motherboard design. He regularly posts on his well-done blog, teaches at Udemy, and runs the Hardware Design Help Forum. Robert creates content about electronics, Altium Designer, Cadence AllCard, Allegro, and hardware design tips and tricks. In this interview, we cover a range of topics and explore Robert's journey as an engineer. If you design printed circuit boards, you'll find a lot of gems of wisdom in this episode. This is Tech Explorations Podcast, Episode 9. The Tech Explorations Podcast is a podcast produced by Tech Explorations. My mission is to share the stories of makers and learn from them. I simply want to explore why and how makers do what they do. Let's welcome Robert and hear his story now. Robert, great to finally have you on the Tech Explorations Podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, Peter. Uh, how are you? Uh, um, pretty good. Uh, it's almost spring here, but today it started raining and pouring. Yes, it's actually quite cold as well. I've got my short sleeve on because I expected it to be a much hotter day. So I started putting away all my like, longer, heavier clothing. But anyway, don't worry about that. Um, how's things uh, over there? I think it's summer for you. Uh, yeah, I, I really <laughs> enjoying summer. It's... Uh, it's not as hot as uh, when I used to live in in California, so it's very nice. Yeah. And uh, and I'm I'm really enjoying being back in Europe. Yeah. Oh, that's great. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Now, I just wanted to say that, like, I've wanted to have you on the podcast uh, for quite a long time since I've known you because you design motherboards, you design PCBs, printed circuit boards. And as probably most people know, I've got an interest in that. <laughs> Tell us about it. <laughs> uh, basically, after I finished university, or when I was finishing university, I had this great opportunity to start designing uh, some products. And uh, I always wanted to design a board uh, which would be running operating system. A computer that is like a computer motherboard. Yeah, like computer motherboard. But initially, I I always wanted to design a, like real computer motherboard, like x86. But I didn't know there may be different kind of motherboards like ARM or MIPS. Yep. But, you know. Uh, so basically, what happened after university, I got this job opportunity where they wanted uh, or where they needed to design a board which was running operating system Linux. And I had no idea how to do it, but because it was very interesting and I really wanted to learn how to do it, I took the job and uh, somehow I figured out how to do it. Yeah. Well, and now that's what you do for a living and you actually teach others how to do that, right? Yes. So after designing the boards like uh, around 10 years, 8, 10 years, uh, I've got quite a lot of experience, uh, especially from reading data sheets and you know design guides and working on the project. And I've got like many questions, uh, what people ask, uh, 
about how they could design this kind of complex boards. So I started writing a blog and uh, I started making some videos and uh, yeah, I, I found it very, um, you know, I enjoy sharing this knowledge because uh, I can see that uh, this information can help many people. And the information, it's not actually very difficult information or something mm -hmm. very mm -hmm. complex or or difficult to understand. Usually it's quite simple. You just need to know how to do it and you yeah. just need to know what is important. Sometimes you so, need somebody yeah. to show you as well, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, uh, so I was like uh, a little bit, oh, because it's so simple, why, uh, why <sighs> I would not share it with other people so they can do it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's how it started. Can you tell us uh, back then, like, um, so you were fresh, uh, w sorry, were you still in university when you got that opportunity or did you just graduate recently and then you had it, you had the opportunity? Uh, basically, uh, at university, I was uh, taking the uh, master study and during my master study, I was working on a project for a company which uh, was quite interesting, but it was not about designing motherboards, anything mm. special. I, one of my first boards for this project was designing uh, like a keyboard. All right. <laughs> so, so nothing really exciting, but even from this simple project, I learned a lot because it was quite a, a large board and uh, it was, it had like many keys. And what was happening? There were some random interrupts because yeah. it was two layer PCB connected to a microcontroller. So this was kind of uh, first touch, my first touch with uh, like crosstalk and uh, these kind of things. Subtle effects. So, <laughs> the plate yeah, so many people think like uh, they are designing very simple boards, but they still can have these kind of problems like yeah. random interrupts and oh, why this is not working as I would expect. Yeah, it's... you wouldn't think about it. So that it, was, it was one of your first um, like, uh, opportunities to build something and then debug it as well, right? Exactly, yeah. Uh, how did you go through that experience? Like, did you have somebody help you or did you have to figure it out by, you know, pouring into books and Google and... Uh, we were like, uh, I think, three engineers or three students at the time. And uh, the project, what I'm talking about, it was um, it was electricity meter, three-phase electricity meter. So uh, there were some parts which we split between us. So one uh, guy was uh, designing DSP board, then the other one was working on microcontroller board, and uh, there were some other parts like, you know, the inputs or current inputs, voltage inputs. These were designed by the professors. Right. And... Yeah. Uh, and I was doing the keyboard and some software work. So it was uh, not only me, it was uh, kind of more Team people, effort. but we, yeah. yeah, but all we were with no uh, like practical experience. Yeah. You know, students from uni university, we had no idea how to manufacture PCB. We had no idea what kind of uh, manufacturing outputs we need to send. <laughs> 
or to you know, make the PCB or assemble the board. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what you're saying resonates with me as well, because when I finished university and like I finished electrical engineering, I, I still felt that I didn't really know how to build the product. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and uh, the first like product that I started building, uh, it was software. Like I went from electrical engineering, I went straight into software. But I, I, f I remember vividly that I was totally lost and I had to learn on the job. Um, I, it was in a desktop publishing company, totally alien to what I had been used to in the past. And especially in university, I was building huge electronic books for professionals like um, um, lawyers and um, accountants. They're totally boring stuff, but the technology inside the product uh, was quite uh, advanced. Uh, we're not talking about 20 years uh, back then, advanced for desktop publishing. And it was just like in your experience, it was um, team effort in the sense that somebody would do something, then it would go to the next person, then eventually it would come to me. And then from me, it would go to the next person. So I had this little domain that was mine and I was trying to figure out how things would work there. And now I know the product that I built would have to go out to somebody to use, who knows in some case, did calculate taxes or whatever it'd be, but you know, I had to be reliable. So anyway, different, you know, different sort of problems that we had but again you know you've got to learn on the job so a uh, similar experience but I wanted to ask you about this so from there you built your first um, it wasn't a motherboard but it was a, a pretty large um, PCB you did a bit of debugging there you fixed the issues with it how did it evolve from there did you move into like a linearly more complicated project or did you stay there for a while what happened next um what happened is I actually stayed at the university uh, because the project was quite uh, large. And, uh, you know, when I was starting at university, we had this bachelor study. It's like three years. Yeah. And then we had uh, two years uh, master study. So after two years working on this uh, project, uh, it was still not completely finished. So I stayed on PhD study and uh, I continued working on uh, on this uh, product and I was also teaching people and you know uh, everything what, what you <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly where where it all started yeah but we will go back to this uh, yeah. like, later I guess so uh, when I was working or when I was doing my PhD study uh, I don't know exactly how it is in other countries but in Slovakia, doing PhD study, you don't really make uh, much money. Of course, that's <laughs> and, the same. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's uh, a stipend. Because, <laughs> yeah, because I, uh, or we decided to get married with my wife and uh, we wanted to have family and all this uh, other family life. I've got a really good uh, job offer from a company What uh, wanted to um, they wanted to provide uh, or they want yeah they wanted to provide internet calls so it we are speaking yeah. about the year like 2003 oh, and, VoIP, uh, uh, yeah yeah voice over ip and uh, at that time it was like completely new it was not like yeah. today you have all this skype and all <laughs> these things yep it was it was very new so they needed to design the hardware because People in 2003, they used phones, but they 
they didn't used to make calls through computers. It was very unusual. So they decided they would like to design the hardware, like like real phones, which are connected to uh, Uh, internet. So so it's easier for people to make the calls through internet. Yep. And uh, there were actually two options. You could use like USB phone, which would require a uh, computer always switch on, or you could design like a small computer, which is connected to network, and uh, and uh, there is like running Linux and this application, and you can make the calls anytime you want. Yeah, I did have one of those. Uh, I think it was designed by Cisco or one of its um, yeah. daughter companies. Yeah. I probably still have it in a box there. So it, it, it looked like a regular wireless um, telephone set, but then you'd plug it into your Ethernet and you'd be exactly. able to make uh, internet calls th- exactly. through voice over IP, yeah. Exactly. So this company, actually, they had a job opening or or it was like completely new company or it was completely um, something. Uh, they were doing different uh, things. I think they were like... Uh, hiring engineers, uh, but they wanted to have their own product and they decided to go this way. So we were actually starting this. Like there there was no one else before doing this. We were first people, they hired us and uh, we had no experience. Of course. <laughs> just from, from university. That's the first one. <laughs> so I exactly, when I'm, when I'm uh, speaking or when I'm trying to teach people uh, how to do hardware design, I remember all the times at university when I had no idea how to make PCB. And then I remember the times uh, joining this company when there was no system and there was no hardware department. And I remember how chaotic everything was and, you know. And there was no really, like there was Google, but it wasn't the same. Like uh, today, it seems like personally, when I have a technical problem and I need a solution, I Google it and go to YouTube and you know, nine out of 10, there will be an answer there. Back exactly. then it was like one out of 10. <laughs> so. Exactly. So there was no one who would help us actually, you know, starting with this hardware design. We had to yeah. go through this. <laughs> Yeah, sounds so familiar. Um, how, how did the project go eventually? Like, uh, were you able to build the hardware? Uh, yes, we did. Uh, we uh, we designed the USB phone. We designed also the uh, internet, the network, Ethernet, yeah. iPhone. Uh, just uh, the company was selling this for, uh, I think, one or two years, and then they sold it to different company. But uh, the biggest issue with this was it was too early. At the time, the internet was not so fast. So, and then once internet was faster, these other big companies or Skype and all these other companies, they came in, they use little bit different protocol. It spread between people yeah. and then so. And, uh, and became standardized as well. Like were exactly. you using like the VoIP or did you have to build your own standard as well or protocol? They, uh, they use some standard uh, codec or some, I don't know exactly. Um, I think it was called like SIP, but I don't know if uh, it was SIP, yeah, yeah. It still yeah. exists, yeah. But still it was used. not as good as some other one. So, uh, so it was kind of decision, the company makes some kind of decision which was not uh, the right one at the time. And then it yeah. it was one of the things why the products or 
the system what they design didn't become so popular because it was not compatible with the other majority of the devices and protocols. Yeah. Well, there's so many issues when a new technology comes across, especially in the early days, there's um, incompatibility yeah. issues and there's the exactly. market forces and there's the big players, the small players. And it's it's pretty chaotic times when a new technology comes in and breaks new ground, like, like internet telephony, which yeah. did, just came out. And, so basically when we develop this and they figure out mm, maybe it's not the, like the best product because of this compatibility, what happened, uh, because they already had this software development and also hardware development, uh, they started taking some other jobs. Yeah, so right. we actually started uh, designing other kind of boards for different customers. And uh, uh, because the uh, telephone, what we designed, it was based on uh, it, it was called PXA 255 mm -hmm. chip. It was Intel chip, which was used in PDAs. And uh, it was very, um, it was one of the chips, which, or it was only kind of one of the chips which could be used to design this kind of board running, running Linux. And other companies needed these kind of devices with operating systems. Uh -huh. So one of the first uh, other boards, what I, designed for a customer was uh, the device which is used in um, buses. I'm not sure if in different countries, but uh, you use the card or chip or something. Yeah, you go into bus, yeah. exactly, for yeah. the tickets. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it prints the ticket and it does all the job, like monitoring where the bus is and so they oh, needed yeah, this yeah. kind of operating system running device, which was in the bus and doing all this, uh, this monitoring and ticketing and everything. So interesting. So the problems with the with your company's original project uh, put you in position to actually take on projects that customers brought in, and that gave you a lot of diversity. So it gave you experience working on like a, a variety of projects now, right? Exactly. Then there was another project and everything was uh, because uh, we built the initial platform. Yeah. We knew how to work with the processor and all these other customers, they were actually using same processor, but they just needed to customize the um, connectors and outputs and interfaces. So, for example, other projects, what I was working on was a mobile uh, like uh, fuel filling station. It was yeah. like big container where they took the container, put it somewhere where is no uh, gas station, so people could go there and, you know, put the gas into the cars. So they needed these electronics, which would handle all the payments and display hmm. interface and, and all these things. So, exactly. Yeah. Mobile, I guess, yeah. So they gave you a lot of experience, right? And uh, yes. where, where do motherboards come in? Because I, I remember you said in the beginning that that was really your dream as you were younger, is to build the hardware on which computers run, the motherboard. So when does that come into your life? I like your question because, you know, exactly, <laughs> it, it exactly goes in the order of what was happening. I've, I've been looking into your life. <laughs> I've been Googling uh, <laughs> So... Uh, all this actually was happening because the uh, founder of the company, when I was working, he had all these uh, 
like kind of innovative ideas. So that's why he came up with the internet telephone, which was a little bit early. Ah. But another idea what he wanted us to make happen was a car entertainment system. Right. So where you have the uh, car radio, he wanted to replace it with uh, with the screen. I know now it sounds kind That's of <laughs> weird, <laughs> yeah, but because uh, now you can see the screen almost in every car. But in again in 2004, 2005, this entertainment system was not built inside of the cars. So interesting you say that. Like I've had that um, uh, that vision. Since I was a kid, I don't know if if you went, when you were growing up, uh, you watched the Knight Rider on TV with Kit yeah. the car, yeah, and I it had the screen yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. So I thought one day my car will have a screen, and it eventually did, but it took a lot longer than I thought. But sorry, it was not an entertainment system for me. It was more like a computer. Open the doors, come and get me, pick me up, or whatever, take me there. It's more like a Tesla. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, continue. Um, so you've got your... Um, so, okay, so what owner. happened, yeah. uh, we wanted to design this entertainment system for car and we needed to, uh, we knew we need something more powerful and compatible with uh, Windows. So that was the time when my very first x86 board was actually designed like in the size of the car radio. But oh. this uh, this project, again, it was too early. <laughs> yeah, 10 it, centimeters across. Quite small. Yep. Yeah, again, it was too so early. Literally a pocket <laughs> computer uh, before the Raspberry Pi, like, <laughs> yeah, like a card sized. Yeah, yeah, and then basically what happened uh, because uh, all these innovative ideas which uh, were not really working out <laughs> much, <laughs> then what happened is uh, owner, you know, he spent a lot of money and. Uh, the times became a little bit more uh, tough. So I decided uh, to actually maybe find a new job. And the other reason why I decided to find a new job was also I knew I need to learn English because uh, I knew that if I would like to become maybe later like manager or or a company founder and working in in all the other companies in the world. I, I really needed to learn English very well. So I decided uh, that my next job will be actually uh, in English speaking country. And yeah, uh, yeah. for us, it was uh, the closest and easiest way was the UK. <laughs> yep. And basically what happened, based on my uh, previous experience working uh, on this PXA 255 processor, I, uh, I Googled for companies in the UK, what are designing these kind of products, and I uh, sent them my CV, and uh, one of the companies uh, write me back. And that's how I actually got an interview, and then I got the job yeah. in the UK. And But you were targeting companies that you knew were building computers or computer hardware? Uh, Not just any... I I tried different company. approach. I also registered on uh, on these job uh, portals, but right. uh, the job portals they didn't work well. Yeah, of course. Uh, what, what I found the best <laughs> was uh, find the specific company where you really would like to work, and maybe try to be more active in engaging with this company. So write the uh, like uh, highly 
focused uh, the uh, how is it called the letter, the cover letter. Uh, a cover letter or sheet here. Yeah. So. So right, sure that like you had researched good. the company before you send exactly. them a letter asking for a job. Yeah, of course. Yeah, why you would like to work there and uh, how you could help them to yeah. grow. And, but they didn't write back immediately. It was like, I think, two, three months I <laughs> I got the answer back. Because, yeah, you know, they, takes, many takes companies, they don't, they don't look for the people right now, but they may be looking in half year. So that's... They put you I in a file, and then exactly when yeah. the need arises, they, they call you up. Exactly. So you went to to the UK, spent a bit of time then, and then that's where you continued working on motherboards. Yeah, initially I was working on some uh, more simple projects, like you know when you are new. <laughs> Usually, <laughs> okay, you get once all a bit of time. <laughs> exactly, you know. Someone has to do the jobs, but uh, the other senior engineers they. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to say like they don't like to do it, but there is always some kind of work which is not as exciting as uh, somebody has some to do other it. Work. Yeah, yeah, I guess some, someone has to do it. Yeah, uh, it's it's always like that. Like it was my experience as well with my first couple of jobs. Uh, actually, <laughs> that actually is a good uh, segue to what I want to ask you next. Uh, my experience with work was, um, I had to, especially in the earlier days, I had to do all the boring stuff. Uh, and, um, I reached a limit eventually, even when I was in university where you think that it's a bit more relaxed in terms of the projects that you can pick, but even that was totally boring. That's when I decided to, to, uh, start tech explorations. So I'd like you to maybe fast forward a little bit now and, um, tell us when, you know, your life, as an employee entered and then you set up your own company, um, how did you make the decision and what was it like in the beginning? Uh, so after working like four years in this uh, company in the UK, I uh, started feeling like uh, maybe working in a company is not exactly what I would like to do because I think the main reason is uh, there were some things which I wanted to change in the company or uh, I had some suggestions and uh, yeah. I could see that uh, no one is really taking any thought about what I was suggesting. So it was kind of frustrating sometimes. Yeah. And uh, I knew that, you know, this is not what I would like to do. And also uh, what happened, we knew we would like to maybe go back to Slovakia because uh, we were expecting our first baby and living in the Slovakia would be much cheaper for us than uh, living in the UK. And uh, I decided that we will go back to Slovakia. And uh, I decided that uh, I, we saved some money. So I decided to spend one year of doing uh, something completely else. I wanted to design websites. I wanted to do some software stuff. Yeah. I didn't want to do any hardware. But uh, 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 initially, initially, actually, I wanted to do hardware, but then I figured out it's not so easy because I started talking to different uh, companies uh, and I, I, start, I asked if they would give me some job to design uh, some small as boards a contractor. for them. Yeah, as contractor, yeah. exactly. Yeah. As freelancer. But it didn't go very well. It, yeah. uh, 
you don't have any uh, kind of reputation or you don't have any background. You are yeah. completely unknown. <laughs> so no one really would like to give you basically their future into your hands, into unknown person. So interesting. Like I had the same experience. Uh, like I was uh, one of the first things that I tried outside uh, having regular jobs or university was uh, to be a software contractor. I was writing software back then. And I had the same experience. Like when you start, unless you know somebody and they can really vouch for you and give you like a, a good starting contract, uh, it's, you can't just knock on doors and uh, get started exactly. like that. Yeah. That's exactly what happened to me. So that's why you tried software and uh, uh, <laughs> how did they so go? That, that's uh, why I decided, okay, let's, let's don't think about hardware. Let's try something completely else. But what actually happened, exactly what you said, friend of mine, he still used to work in the company where I used to work before when I, mm, when, before I left uh, to the UK. Yeah. And he asked me, they had some customers and uh, their customers, they needed to make some adjustments uh, in their hardware. So he gave me this uh, contract job, actually. Yeah. And, uh, and I uh, helped him. So I, I did uh, some schematic and PCB layout. And then what happened, the customer was happy. So he needed to design another board. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, instead of uh, working on my software, I actually ended up uh, designing uh, boards uh, as a Got freelancer. It. Yeah, <laughs> and I guess that was the beginning because uh, of of the Federal uh, uh, Academy, right? You were a freelancer now, or you are a contractor. Uh, how, and then, how did you get into teaching? Because that's, if I understand right, you do teaching now uh, as the majority of your time or perhaps all of your time. How did that switch from being a contractor to doing what you're doing now? Um, I said this a couple of times before in different interviews. Uh, what happened is uh, because uh, I was doing this freelancing, I was designing the boards for this one customer. Uh, it was kind of unsecure job because, uh, you know, when the project finished, you were not yeah. sure what is going to happen. So what I what I decided to do, I uh, wanted to find different uh, customers, and uh, at that time, one of the ways how you could promote yourself was uh, starting or writing a blog. Right. So I started writing a blog about. Still is. Uh, <laughs> sorry. It still is a good way to you know uh, yeah. uh, create but a name. Now YouTube is much. Right. Yeah. People usually. <laughs> watch videos they don't want to read they are yeah. lazy yep. <laughs> i'm lazy to read i and rather I watch video yeah. how to do it i think both is oh that's a different matter but you know both is uh, probably a good thing <laughs> yeah so uh, i started writing blog uh, and i uh, i was putting there some useful information because that's the way how actually people really read yeah. on the blog or watch videos i started uh, posting my videos uh, or some videos on my YouTube and uh, I've got uh, what actually happened. I found the next uh, client and uh, this client, you may not believe, he was from China. Right. So he uh, asked me to design board for him. Person from China, living yeah. in China, when, where everything is 
as cheap as as yeah. it can be. It cannot be cheaper anywhere else. It's like the, the human factor is you got to pay for it, and you you look at it worldwide. Like uh, a factory can't still can't replace a bit of expertise in in designing a product. And yeah, uh, but uh, what what actually happened is uh, he initially used uh, a uh, Taiwanese company to design a board for him. Mm. But what happened is the copyright issue, you know. Ooh. So they designed the board for him and in like three weeks or uh, I don't know, one month, same board was uh. really different company. <laughs> How typical. <laughs> yeah, so the problem or the thing why he decided to kind of uh, outsource this design job to Europe was because because of the security intellectual of the design. property yeah exactly. intellectual property exactly. rights yeah it's quite so very I, so this was uh, yeah another customer and uh, it was like i think uh, after 2 years of doing freelancing i realized it's not easy uh, because uh, the biggest issue is you you hit the limit what you can uh, make because like you can only ask, yeah. I don't know, let's say, I think at the time I was paid like 40 euros per hour. And because you can only work, uh, I don't know. 50 hours a week. Yeah. Exactly, 50 hours a week. So you can very yeah. easily calculate how much money you can make. Yeah. And uh, that's like the the top best uh, money, in, uh, ideal money. In reality, you need to take some holiday, you may get sick, or uh, you don't have uh, the next project in pipeline. Pipeline. So I realized like mm, there are some limitations of doing this freelancing, especially when you go on holiday and you think like, yeah, oh, I could be I'm, making money. I'm now. kind of losing money because I'm not doing anything. Uh, yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, and I then, guess another big reason is that you don't really have any freedom and really any any way of regulating your your life in a way. If a customer says, um, "I want this by next week," uh, and that's what like one out of your one of, of three customers or one of four customers, and you tend to try and please them, so yeah, no problem. I'll I'll do it. I'll I'll work over time, get it done. So you don't have much control of, of your life uh, as a freelancer or a contractor. Exactly. Uh, for me, that was the biggest issue. Yeah, some people, I think they like it. I think freelancing is okay yeah. for some people. Yeah. You just cannot take it like too seriously. But once you have a family and you have kids and you know you need to make money, you need to be sure you need to make money, Yeah. it's much harder. If you are just like alone, and you just would like to make some money and travel around the world, then freelancing may be just perfectly fine for you. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I also find that probably freelancing is, is great to begin with because it does expose you to projects that people bring in and um, it, you do make acquaintances and meet people through that channel. And that way uh, it it gives you the opportunity to um, to mature a little bit more as a person before you are ready to go out and do something on your own. So um, that that was my experience uh, at least and uh, got me to where I am now, which actually I'm much happier, but I don't think I could have been here without all that past uh, you know, experiences as a freelancer and contractor. Same. 
Yeah. I think exactly the same. I think it was like really great experience. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then basically what happened when I realized it's, you know, it's not the best way. Uh, at the same time, I started realizing like, uh, or exactly what happened is because I started receiving like more and more questions, I uh, I decided to ask people if they would pay for uh, a course which would cover all the most common questions. Yeah. And uh, I found enough people to cover the expenses for creating my very first course. And uh, when I released the course, I just noticed like, uh, wow, this may work. And because I was already thinking uh, about this freelancing, like uh, it's not the best uh, way how to make money, I, I realized like maybe doing this online uh, teaching and online courses, that may be a better way yeah. to actually work because you create this uh, video and then uh, you put it online and then you can do something else. You can create new video or you can go on holiday, but this what you already done, what you already prepared, it still will be selling itself. You st it still will be making money and uh, you don't need to stress yourself like uh, I'm not making, I'm not working, so I, I'm not yeah. making any money. Yeah, um, essentially you productize your knowledge. Like you got all that, you put it in a medium. In this case, it's video. Uh, it, could be a, it could be a book. That's productization. And then uh, it's a whole different story on um, how you can... Uh, you know, make a living out of the knowledge that you have locked up in your head. Um, instead of waiting for a customer to come in, you've got thousands and thousands of customers. And uh, that, that's how I see it as well. But since exactly. you mentioned that and in your course, I'd like, because I'm looking at the time, I'd like to switch to maybe um, your, your, uh, you as a PCB and motherboard instructor. And I've got some questions from uh, some of my students. <laughs> Um, and uh, I'd like to to ask you uh, some of those questions and um, just get some clarity on behalf of my students. So thank you uh, ahead of time for this. <laughs> so uh, your expertise is on motherboards and motherboards uh, are not typical printed circuit boards. They typically contain components that communicate uh, with um, in high speeds with other components. The, the density of the components on the motherboard is very dense. So tend to have to have it packed with memories, with microprocessors, with whatever else it might be. So one student asks, what are some of the challenges, maybe the top three challenges of creating a high density, high speed printed circuit board in your experience? Uh, it uh, doesn't have to be always uh, very dense design, but in most cases it is. So yeah. uh, sometimes happen, yeah, sometimes happen. Uh, you just need to design a board for specific form format. So then, or it happens almost all the time. The question is how big the format is. Yeah. So when it is like standard, that, right? uh, because standard you big board, you start with the outline in most cases, yeah. and then yeah. you try to fit the components in the best way you can. So let's say that you do need to make it high density. Uh, what are like the two or three top considerations that you begin with? The biggest challenge with uh, very high density boards 
is uh, uh, how to explain. I I can use an example of what happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> I was designing like very small uh, processor module, and uh, it was my like very first processor uh, module, and I was not uh, very careful about uh, how I was doing layout. So the way how I I was doing it, I was connecting pin to pin. So when I was drawing the tracks, I connected the processor pin to the connector pin, for example, processor pin to another chip uh, pin. And what actually happened is uh, this is perfectly fine for 95% of your Mm. board, Hmm. but to connect like last 5% or last 1% of the board was extremely difficult. And what happened to me, I had the whole board completely routed except one net, and I could not connect this one net. You so could this take a like, jumper wire and... <laughs> I had, I had to get it half of the board. <laughs> I've seen boards like that. I know what happened. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, I could use wire, yeah. but that was not what I wanted <laughs> to do. So I had to delete half of the board, and this is... I think one very important point of uh, doing these high-density designs is uh, you need to find the right way, right steps, how you would like to do this kind of design. So what I normally do, uh, for example, in first step, I just fan out the processor. So I'm sure I can uh, go out of the processor with all the pins of the processor before I start actually connecting everything else. Because yeah. if you find out that uh, you cannot uh, find out uh, the last pin of the processor, you can just delete a little bit uh, small or small part of the layout and you just redo it. But if you already connect all these tracks, you have to delete a lot of layout what you have done. Right, so in that case, you're saying find the, the CPU is a central component, almost everything on the motherboard connects to the CPU. So that's a central component. So you say route the central component first. Yeah. The rest will be much easier. Uh, actually, I route the, the, usually the first thing what is routed is the most important interface, which is uh, memory. Memory, right. So, uh, so CPU you need to, to memory, be sure you can, memory controller. Yeah, you can have like high quality uh, layout for uh, for the part between processor and the memory, then you need to be sure you can fan out the whole processor and then connect everything else. Uh, what about other issues? Like you, you mentioned crosstalk earlier and is in high density and like high speed applications is crosstalk and other interferences typical? Like how, how much of a problem are they? Um, we really did not have uh, much time, much problems with crosstalk because if you go into these very complex boards, you can you can use uh, really good stack ups. Yeah. So you can have like many layers. You can use like buried vias and and uh, you can actually route it kind of properly. The crosstalk problems, what I've seen, are mostly in more simple boards. Hmm. Like uh, once uh, when I was starting with hardware design, we we made this uh, Wi-Fi access point. And we used the processor model, which was on 
a very good PCB stack up and and it was expensive and we wanted to design like very cheap baseboard yeah. on two layer PCB. But there was actually whole bus routed on uh, this very cheap two layer PCB. Cheaper. Uh, and right. that's where we actually seen these crosstalk problems. On the on yeah. the high speed big boards, usually I I haven't seen any problems with crosstalk. Does crosstalk become more evident in boards where you know you get thicker traces, um, not just closer together, but also thicker with more copper on them? Do those effects disappear when you go for thinner traces? Uh, what is important is, or what I'm very careful about, is to have a ground plane very close to the signal layer. Right. So, you know, all these uh, emissions and everything, the fields, they are as small as possible. So once you put the ground plane far away, the fields around the tracks, oh. they will be like bigger and bigger. And that's what actually right. is causing the problem. And that's why you put the ground plane in one of the middle layers, right? So that they're closer to where the signals are. Yeah, you uh, ideally, what what I like to have is ground plane on top and bottom of the signal ah, layer. Even better, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you have two and, ground planes. And what planes. is important is yeah, to place the signal layer more close to at least one of these okay. ground layers. Huh. Interesting, yeah. Um, I, I normally like the, uh, I've, I've gone up to a four layer PCB for, and that was mostly like a demonstration project because I could have done it still in two layers, but I thought I'd try a four-layer PCB in KiCad. And yeah, that's the principle that I followed. I had the um, top and bottom, I think, was actually, no, I think I used power in the top, like a five-volt power layer in the top. And then the the bottom was ground and the two in between, I had them for signals. Uh, is it like a, a is it like a, an optimal solution to a problem like that, or are these uh, more like um, guidelines or rules of thumb? Do they make a big difference? Uh, stack up can make like very very big difference. Yeah. So even like layer ordering, different layer ordering will make huge difference uh, between uh, the quality of the of the design. Yeah. Of course. So what about power? Do you dedicate a layer to power? Yes. For for the ground, uh, I would like to have like solid ground plane. And uh, usually the powers, they are again, the they are like the polygons on the different, the ideally you would like to have it maybe as a neighbor layer of the ground plane. Mm. All right. Uh, more about that in your courses. <laughs> okay. I, I want to ask you this other that's uh, so another common question I get is, do you prefer manually routing, especially those large boards, or going for auto-router, or perhaps a combination of the two? Okay, uh, I have, I once I, I, uh, I really didn't have time to uh, route a board, so I use auto-router. <laughs> and uh, after setting up like uh, all these constants and rules. Uh, I was setting it like for one week. And then I, I hit this uh, outer out button. It started doing all the stuff and uh, it did not finish the board. <laughs> so you did like a partial route and were you able to finish yeah. it or was it like a mess and you had to start again? Uh, 
it was not able to connect all the <laughs> yeah. all the pins, so I had to do it. Uh, I mentioned this because uh, the result was kind of catastrophic. <laughs> <laughs> so not even bad. It was, it was like terrible. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't it work. Was, uh, it it did work, but I would never. Uh, uh, send this board into production to sell it to I don't know thousands of people. It's kind. It was kind of board which is okay to have it on your uh, table in your lab, but never send it out okay. as a product. That was what I expected you to say. Actually, I, I find that experience that at least with the Arduino and I build boards that work with the Arduino low speeds, nothing dense in there. The auto router really does save time and really. It has no effect. The end result is still still works, but I always thought that you know once you get to those um, higher densities, uh, more complicated boards, uh, you do need to put some more thought into how signals yeah. are transmitted. And the auto router doesn't care about that. The auto router just tries to minimize the length, uh, the the length of the total routes and the number of vias and things like that. So it's kind of stupid, right? Uh, the the criteria that you use. Are totally different to what the auto router uh, would use. In the auto router, what I was using, I think it was called Spectra. Yeah. You can set all the kind of rules, but the problem is more rules you set, uh, less chance is it is going to actually uh, yeah, finish, finish the layout. And uh, the board, uh, what was auto routed, it was, I said, it was kind of uh, working. The question, uh, when you are designing this kind of very complex boards, the question is uh, stability and uh, reliability of this board. So you need to be sure the board will be running with no problems for months, for years. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And this is extremely, uh, this requires uh, to be extremely careful how you route the tracks. Because uh, many engineers, even now, I was uh, I have forum and uh, one of the person is saying like I have this board, which is uh, on my uh, fridge and it occasionally freezes like mm. once a week and or two two times a week, and uh, I have same board uh, three same boards uh, in different places in my house and they work just perfectly fine. This is exactly what I'm talking right. about. If you design yeah. the board correctly, it should be always stable. So you think if, that if, uh, there's some interference perhaps uh, from other components exactly. of the fridge that cause a problem? Uh, it doesn't have to be only the fridge. It's, Temperature. it's uh, something that is too sensitive. Right. And uh, or uh, it may be some situations which may happen occasionally, like, I don't know, on the board you can have two signals which are routed together and sometimes happen that uh, these uh, signals on these two tracks they may have some kind of combination which can cause problem on the third signal which is routed together with them or something yeah. like this. So, the electrons uh, get confused. <laughs> exactly. So this is what uh, what I think is big difference between like professionally design, uh, professional design and the kind of uh, hobbyist design yeah, like. Exactly. More, I had exactly the same approach when I was starting with hardware design. Like uh, I was like, oh, this board occasionally freezes, but it's it's work. The board most works the perfectly fine. Yeah, most <laughs> of the time it's, it's just fine. It's just once a week it freezes. If you design the board properly, it 
it cannot freeze. It just yeah. has to work. If it freezes, it means there is something wrong. Yeah. Oh. So that's uh, that's a big difference between, as you said, um, professional design and more laid laid back and hobbyist design. Which now, when when I design something, is really for me. I design something that will sit on my desk and pretty much nobody else's desk. So the, the criteria are very different than the quality, you know, effort that I put in. It's totally yeah. different to if I was going to sell it out into the open market or you know, share it in the open market. So, yeah, I can give an example. I remember, yeah. sorry for interrupting, but yeah, I no, remember good. This, this good story. Oh, it's not like story, but I remember this from... Uh, uh, from one of our customers, they were buying uh, one of the boards what uh, was designed before I actually joined the company. And there was this occasional interrupt, like once a month interrupt. But the thing with the company was that they were using this board in huge machines. And uh, if something like this happened, they had to stop all production yeah. and clean all the machines. Ooh. So one occasional interrupt once a month cost like or cost them like thousands or tens thousands of dollars because they had to stop production and clean all the machines just because of this one random interrupt yep yep so uh, these applications especially industrial applications like um military i guess uh, and um, health applications uh, you also have that totally different level of reliability that you need to achieve and uh, exactly. like we could go into testing as well like how do you like when you finish design how do you know that there will never be a combination of events or circumstances that will crush it or because like let's not get into that now because it's going to take yeah it's a whole different topic like testing is a huge thing i'm sure there's a whole engineering science behind it but i'm saying that is something that you would have to think about where i wouldn't really need to worry about that at all mm. um, i i always recommend to go at least through environmental uh, test, uh, in, in, through the testing in environmental chamber because this is very helpful uh, and so many is times that like, you um, is there a chamber where you can control the humidity temperature and even light, perhaps. Temperature, like, yeah. temperature is most, most important. Humidity, yeah. We don't usually use the humidity, ah, right. but temperature, like running your board in the negative temperatures, like yeah. uh, minus 40 degrees Celsius. I don't know how much is it in Fahrenheit. I think minus 40 Fahrenheit is minus 40 uh, minus Celsius. 40. Yeah. Ah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I yeah, think that the 40 is in the magic number. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then up to the yeah. what you can usually the components they get hot so you cannot go like and that's part of certification process uh, as well is it uh in some for some, for some boards yes yeah. but for you it's definitely like i've seen so many boards failing when you just drop temperature like uh, 20 degrees and if mm. there is something wrong like too sensitive crystal or oscillator it will stop oh. oscillating or your board but will I, not boot up I guess in those cases it's not just that design that you have completed but the manufacturing process as well can be flawed and those flaws can come out in those different con temperature conditions right because then the materials mm. come into play too yeah so like a cheaper board materials, versus a more expensive yeah. board could, could be the difference basically what is happening i think what is happening is like uh, if you have something what is running on the edge and when you start changing this temperature, and as you said, even like materials and the parameters of the materials start yeah. changing, 
you may go from this like running on the edge, you can cross the limit and the board yeah. may, like start crashing. Yeah. So then you need to have a little bit of knowledge of the manufacturing process of the PCB, especially if your board is meant to operate thing, things like cars, um, you know, exposed to the elements, um, industrial applications. The, your job as a designer doesn't stop in your computer, but you need to understand other areas as well uh, as a manufacturing. But again, yeah, that's another topic. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll ask you one more thing, uh, one more question, like a technical question, and then um, uh, we can go into the rapid fire questions as well, because I'm looking well. We've been uh, here, at the, we hit the hour mark now. So um, one more thing I wanted to ask you again, this uh, student question. Um, what is your philosophy or your approach around segmenting a board? So you build motherboards, a motherboard, especially a computer on a board with a lot of subsystems. Uh, what is your, what are your principles or your principle around placing those subsystems on the board and physically allocating space for them? Um, I do, I do think about this because, uh, for example, uh, on the board, you usually may have like, you may want to have like, I call it like quiet areas for, for example, for uh, analog stuff like audio or some other things. You don't want to place it into somewhere middle uh, where is all the noise yeah, happening. Yeah. Then uh, you may have thinking about where to place the power supplies because this is going to be yeah. like very noisy area. And then uh, where you would like to have the digital things. Components, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, usually I place like the power supply somewhere close to the uh, connector or input connector. And then this is like the main power supply. And then all the local power supplies, I try to place them as close as possible to the chips where they need to be yeah. connected. And then, of course, you have these important interfaces. So you have the processor and uh, memories. So you need to place these together. together. Yeah. And uh, communications yeah, and then, plug them all together. Yeah. So they, like, um, like a second layer of decisions that you make, I guess, is to do with user interfaces, uh, connectors, as you said, where you plug in your USB, your Ethernet, uh, your... Um, the buttons, perhaps a reset button, is going to be easier to 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 reach. Um, like, are those just as important considerations, like the user interface, which are all the inputs, outputs, and buttons? Uh, if you have like uh, full flexibility, where exactly place the connectors and buttons and LEDs, then uh, usually what we do, uh, I try to imagine like final product and uh, how you would like to have it. Like, for example, if you are designing something like set-top box, uh, which is under a TV, then you would like to have the front end, like with LEDs and LEDs, control panels yeah. And, yeah, and all the connectors behind. So I try to think about the application. So when the board is finished, how you are going to use it. That's how I mm. place the connectors. And then based on the connectors, you also get kind of position of the other chips which are interfaced or which are connected to these connectors. Yeah. So there's a whole range of things, Len. It's the internal layout, as you said, noisy, 
uh, components should be away from where other work is being done so that you avoid interference. And then there's the end user, the usability or the user interfaces, uh, whether yeah. it sits on, uh, as, uh, on a disk, uh, you need to have the indicator LEDs at the front and then everything else around the back so you don't have cables at the front. Yes. Uh, so it's not just one thing, right? You think- No, then you need to think about heat, for example. How to get the heat Like out, some yeah. of the components, they, they may get uh, hot. So uh, maybe you would like to place them on the top. You would like to have some uh, way how to connect heatsink on these components. Uh, also, uh, what I consider are high currents, mm -hmm. where the high currents are going to flow on the board. I don't want to usually place anything in this path of the high currents. And yeah, there are like quite a lot of considerations what you what you may want to think about. Yeah, that's always the details. And also, but yeah. yeah, and also it's like uh, maybe component height. You don't want to place like yeah. tall components on the bottom, maybe place them on the top. Right, yeah. That's very interesting, yeah. Uh, placement of components. Uh, I guess another thing is manufacturing process again that comes into play. Like if you want to automate the manufacturing process and that tells you what kind of components to use, like SMDs versus throughput, uh, through hole. Um, not all components can be laid and placed in a machine by pick and place machines. So those come into your mind as well when you're choosing components and the placement. Um, usually we use the SMD components because it's easier for Smaller. production. Yeah. But for uh, connectors, I very often recommend to use through hole components uh, because I had this bad experience with some boards where, uh, for example, SMD USB connector was used and after uh, some time it just fell off Comes together loose. with all yep. the tracks and everything. Yeah, cool. So, <laughs> yeah, I recommend for the connector, especially which uh, has like where you need to use like some force to plug yeah, in or USB. plug out the connector. I had a lot yeah, of USB connectors the... uh, just coming off the tracks, like exactly a, a, a portable battery. One of my kids dropped it and the cable was connected to the USB connector. And then it was an SMD connector. It pulled the tracks off. I fixed it, but <laughs> had to, uh, yeah. I thought, hmm, if this would have been much sturdier as a, a through hole. So yeah, interesting usability as well. So it comes, um, comes back as always both software hardware like most of those things uh, will be used eventually by humans so you need to take that into account when you make your design early on in your process okay robert let's get into a couple of rapid fire questions all, all relevant stuff to um, what we've been talking about so um, i wanted to ask you to recommend to our listeners some um, educational resources that perhaps you've used or you've created. <laughs> um, it could be books, it could be video courses, blogs, uh, whatever you think that will be, uh, you, YouTube posts, uh, whatever you think will be useful for people who are interested in building motherboards and doing these high density and high speed uh, creations. Uh I get this question a lot, <laughs> and um, I'm not sure if many people is surprised, but I don't have any like favorite book. I do know that many people, they like to read many books and they recommend, I, I, I don't know the name of the book, but there are some 
favorite books, what people like to read. Uh, the big issue what I have with the books is many of them are very theoretical mm-hmm. and uh, they you don't know exactly how to apply them on your specific board, on your specific case or something yeah. what you are designing. So the way how I actually learn a lot is uh, through design guides. So, uh, oh, like data sheets, right? Uh, data sheets, but you also have specific design guides. For example, when I was designing these uh, Intel motherboards, Intel, uh, it is in their own interest oh, to explain right. you the things as good as possible so you design the board the way it works. So with each chip, you get these design guides where they will exactly explain you how you should route this, uh, why you should, or sometimes they don't explain why you should do it. Yeah, they just say, yeah. do it this way, do it this way, do it this way. Because it works and then, <laughs> this way. And then when you follow these yeah. steps, what they will tell you, then the board works. That's very good advice. Yeah, there you go. So design guides. And, and these design guides um, are available for pretty much all of the common CPUs, memory modules, whatever it might be, and into risk. Uh, yeah, now yeah. now I think there are, uh, mm, okay, I usually I say to people when they are deciding on uh, selecting processor for their uh, next project, one of the most important uh, considerations is go through the, go through the documentation. Okay, so many people, they just look like on, on the cost, on, uh, on price, but uh, what I also do, I go and have a look what kind of documentation they have. Do they uh, have these design guides? Good do advice. They, yeah, yeah. Do they uh, have good data sheets? Uh, uh, have a look at the software. What kind of yeah. software they provide? <laughs> it's very because you can yeah. get, you can go into many troubles if you if you just pick a chip which is extremely cheap, but you 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 can't do anything. Once you finish the board, you can put their software. This is the problem of the Chinese yeah, chips. Yeah, they are extremely yeah. cheap, but you cannot find any documentation. Oh, it's in Chinese. It's my yeah, problem. It's in Chinese. <laughs> exactly. So uh, what I wanted to say, uh, there are some manufacturers with really good documentation, like I think Freescale or NXP, they have yeah. the very good documentation. Intel has awesome documentation. Uh, so pick this chip with really good documentation. Yeah. It will help you to learn and design the board what will work. I'm familiar with um, Atmega microcontrollers and the documentation is amazing. Like, uh, you can learn everything you need out of that. So thank you, that was really good advice. Um, I had not thought of uh, design um, documentation like that in that way, but it definitely makes a lot of sense for hardware and saves you so much time. All right. Now, last question. Um, what's your favorite PCB design application? Uh, this is like, uh, <laughs> this is like when you ask uh, someone who is working, for example, in microcontrollers, what is your favorite microcontroller? Yeah. Depends on the job, like you can, you can say exactly. that. Exactly, like, yeah. depends on the job, uh, what you would like to do for, for, the hardware design engineer, it should not really doesn't matter what kind of tools or what kind of chips you use uh, because there is no ideal 
tool that is no ideal chip. Uh, Altium is not perfect. Uh, Cadence is not perfect. Mentor is not perfect. Something is better here. Something is better there. Yeah. Yeah. But, so you're uh, agnostic, right? You you consider the job, and then you're thinking which tool should I use to exactly. get the job done best. Exactly. Yeah, so I, I don't I don't want to say if there is like a really best tool in the world, but I do like Altium. I like uh, also Cadence. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm quite interested about KiCad. I I haven't ever <laughs> tried KiCad. I would love to. I I can't just find time <laughs> to try, but I really like its open source. For example, yeah, yeah. Uh, about Altium, I really like its like complex package, because uh, this is what you can miss in other softwares. Like in Altium, you can do quite good uh, bomb management and. Uh, and everything is, uh, you can create a great documentation from Altium. In yeah, it's well integrated. Like yeah. Exactly. It's, in yeah. other systems, it can be, you need to use maybe different software for creating each of these outputs. Yeah. It's, it's so, but, I don't know much about it, but I, I believe that it is a mature product as well, which is very useful. You can trust it, in other words. Yeah. So and about Cadence, for example, I like Allegro. It's hard. Mm -hmm. It's it's not easy to learn how to use it, but it's very powerful. Yeah. So you know. Well, thank you, uh, Robert. Uh, let's. Uh, I just want to finish up with um, just to give you a bit of time to tell us uh, about how people can get in touch with you uh, if they want to get in touch with you. I think after hearing this, you're probably going to have a lot more questions. So can you tell us about uh, your blog, uh, email address perhaps, um, social media, where can they come and find your work or your courses? So uh, the best way to um, contact me is send me an email. Uh, and the easy email is like info at fedevel, F-E-D-E-V-E-L.com. Uh, but uh, they can send me a message through LinkedIn. I, I uh, accept all the LinkedIn invitations. I, I didn't used to, but I, I started receiving like many of them, so I just accept all Everybody of them. Everybody, that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, usually it's quite hard to reach me through LinkedIn because I receive also a lot of spam on LinkedIn. All the PCB manufacturers and component manufacturers, they just keep sending me messages and... <laughs> So yeah, it's it quite takes difficult. time to sort through them. Yeah, but uh, I do occasionally read the LinkedIn messages, so I can answer also LinkedIn message. Uh, I do have a Facebook page uh, and a YouTube channel. We'll put all those yes. on, on the show notes uh, for, yeah. for your uh, podcast uh, interview, and the people can find you there. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank <laughs> you so video. much. So from all the sources, I would recommend maybe the best is the YouTube channel yeah. uh, because they can find a lot of information. I try to create videos which are useful useful for hardware design engineers. So maybe they can, or your listeners Check can out find videos, something yeah. interesting Subscribe. there. Subscribe. <laughs> Okay, well, Robert, it was uh, a real pleasure um, talking to you this afternoon. So it's probably morning for you. Um, uh, thank you for you know, sharing all the, your knowledge. I personally learned a lot. So hope to chat again soon. Uh, I would like to thank you very much, Peter, for this uh, opportunity. And I like this interview. I really like to talk about this, uh, like 
kind of specific hardware design things. It's Absolutely. not always when I get this opportunity maybe to speak about these things during interviews. So thank you very much. <laughs> and I would like to thank you very much to everyone who was listening and I really hope uh, maybe they learned something new. Awesome. Thanks, Robert. Oh, thank you, Peter. That's all for this episode. The notes for this episode that include links to many of the resources mentioned and information on how to get in touch with Robert are available on our website, techexplorations.com. Each episode comes with its own page on the Tech Explorations website and a gold mine of information in the notes. This podcast episode was produced by Tech Explorations. Do you have any questions or suggestions? Would you like to nominate a maker to be our guest? And of course, you can nominate yourself. Just email us at podcast at texplore.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, Tech Explorations. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next time.